0: Early on in the service, Pauline read to us from Mark chapter 6, the miracle of walking on water. Now, I believe miracles still happen. And this evening, I want to share with you the messages behind the miracles of our Master. The miracle of walking on the water was first a time of separation. The story is told of three pre- preachers who were out fishing. It was a Baptist preacher, a rabbi, and a Catholic priest. They were about 200 feet offshore when the rabbi got up out of the boat, walked on the water to the shore, and got his lunch. Minutes later, the Catholic priest got out of the boat, walked on the water to the shore, and got his lunch. The Baptist preacher said to himself, I know I am as, as spiritual as that rabbi and that Catholic priest. He got out of the boat and sank to the bottom of the lake. He got back in the boat, caught his breath, tried again, and sunk again. He got back in the boat, started again, and sunk the third time. The rabbi said to the priest as they ate their lunch, "'Do you think we ought to tell him where those rocks are before he drowns himself?' Just a little to set the scene of this great miracle, the greatest miracle I believe Jesus ever did. I'll explain later. A bit of background Jesus had just fed over 4,000 people by the Sea of Galilee out of a little boy's lunch bag. Picture this scene. The air was filled with excitement, the multitude had reached such a fevered pitch of enthusiasm that they were ready to take Jesus by force and make him king. It's very important for us to note here, this point, because in seeking to make Jesus king, they would have destroyed his ministry and the purpose for which God had sent him to earth, which was to go to the cross. So the first thing I want to plant in your mind this evening is the place of God's purpose is the place of God's power. In the Old Testament, God said to Elijah, I want you to go to the house of the widow, for I will feed you there. Not go somewhere or anywhere, but there. Elijah went to the house of the widow, introduced himself and said, I'm hungry. And she got a flower out and she made him a scone, her last scone. He ate it, but when he did, the meal barrow filled up and was never a need in that home for the rest of the depression. God told Elijah to go there, and that's where the miracle happened. Jesus said to his 12 disciples as he left the earth, I'm going to the Father, and I will send you the Comforter. I want you to go to the upper room because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit there. Not anywhere, but there. Had they not been in the upper room, they would have not received the Holy Spirit. God has a there for you. God has a there for me. There is an exact place where God wants you to be. And when you get in that place of God's purpose, God will give you the power to accomplish what he wants you to do. If we're not where God wants us to be, then we would miss the miracle. This morning, Simon spoke on God's purpose for our, our lives will last forever. God has a divine purpose. For all of us, for your life and for my life. So what is it? Jesus' purpose was to go to the cross. But the enemy comes in through the crowd and he says, they say, we want to make you king. If Jesus had listened to them, he would not have gone to the cross and not fulfill the purpose for which God had sent him. And you know, I've noticed throughout my walk, my Christian walk, the enemy is always out there offering us what what appears to be a more attractive alternative. The enemy will offer us sensation over sacrifice, feelings over faith. But if we live by feelings, we will always make personal and professional decisions that will destroy us. What is God's purpose for our lives? God has an exact purpose for you, for me. You may say, well, actually I'm too old or I'm already settled or I'm happy with what I've got. But I believe that when our dreams are greater than our memories, we have potential and purpose into the future. But when our memories are greater than our dreams, then we're living in the past. The God we serve is a God of now. The best days you are ever going to live are right in front of you. Do it with everything that's in you. you know, I believe that the greatest tragedy in our lives is not death. The greatest tragedy in our lives is when the life fails to fulfill the divine purpose and potential. How did I come to that conclusion? Ecclesiastes 6 verse 3 reads... A man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes without meaning. It departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than does that man. The second thought I want to plant in your mind is the miracle of walking on the water was a time of prayer. The Bible says that Jesus went to the mountain to pray. This morning, Simon also talked about prayer, our prayer lives. How important it is for us to have a powerful prayer life. How much do we pray? How often do we pray? Do we only pray when we are in a crisis? When we are crisis Christians. And sometimes I believe that God will keep us in a crisis because he wants to hear from us. And if that's the only time he will hear from us. Something to think about. Jesus was not only powerful because he was the son of God, but because he had a powerful prayer life. Although he was a son of God, he often prayed all night long. It reminds me of something my dad used to say. I remember him saying that when I was a little girl. Some prayer, some power. More prayer, more power. Much prayer, much power. Prayer should not be your your. Prayer should be your first choice, not your last chance. Prayer is not sending God to run on our errands. God is bigger than that. When I was in college. One of my colleagues always referred to his car as Shanida. And I thought, after several weeks, that's a strange name. Never heard of that name before. And one day I asked him, why do you call your car Shanida? He says, because she needs she need a new tire, she needs a new exhaust, she needs she need a new windscreen wiper. And sometimes that's the attitude we go to God with in prayer. I need this and this and this and this. God is not there to run our errands. God is bigger than that. When we pray, do we concentrate on the mountain we want God to remove, rather than the God who has the power to remove it? What are our motives when we pray? Simon touched on this this morning. Do we pray to get God to do things our way? Or do we pray to get ourselves prepared to do things God's way? Sometimes you may say, well, why pray? Because God answers prayer. The Bible says, call and I will answer and I will show you great and mighty things that you know not. Jesus said, Whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, Jesus speaking, he will do. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says wait. Two of these we don't want to hear. But God always answers prayer. We say, Why pray? because we are commanded to pray. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, when you pray, not if you pray. It's a command. And you know, we know so much about prayer. We've learned so much. We know the power of prayer. We know the plan of prayer. We know the pattern of prayer. We know the purpose of prayer. We know the positions of prayer. We know the priority of prayer but how often we do not propose to pray. I believe the tragedy of our day is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. He can move mountains. He can divide the sea. He can conquer your enemies. He can do the impossible. We serve a powerful and an awesome God. But as great as God is, I don't believe God can answer Unoffered prayers. Jesus said, What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. The initiative rests with us. The disciples are in a storm. It's great trouble. But trouble is not always a chastisement. When I was a little girl, that's what I heard in church a lot oh, well, you must be doing something wrong. That's why you're in trouble. But I don't believe that. After all, the disciples were doing exactly what Jesus had commanded them to do. You know, only severe storms expose which trees are dead and which trees are alive. Storms reveal which trees are deeply rooted and those which have shallow roots that can be blown over with very little resistance. Storms strip trees of dead branches to increase their potential for the future. God may be sending you into a storm today. Not because he doesn't love us or because he wants to harass us, God may be sending us into a storm to extract things from our lives that defeat us, trying to expand our potential so that we can reach the destiny that God has for us. Do you remember the, story, the parable Jesus told about the, the two houses built by builders? One was built on sand, one was built on rocks. And Jesus said, when the storms come, not if the storms come, when the storms come, you cannot tell the quality of the house until the storm hits it. If you build it on Christ the rock, you cannot be shaken. You will not be confounded. But when you're in the storm, you're in the midst of the sea and everything you've ever trusted in and depended on begins to fail you. You ask why. It's not wrong to ask why. It's just human. Job cried, why wasn't I born dead? In 1 Kings 19, Elisha cried, I have had enough. Take my life. Jesus cried on the cross, my God, My God, why have you forsaken me? We look into a shallow grave and we say, God, where are you? Why? We look at our shattered dreams and we say, why? We look at a broken relationship and we say, why? But you know, God is too wise to make a mistake. And he's too loving to be unkind. When God sends us into a storm, God sends us for a reason. It is not our decision. Jesus sent those disciples into that storm. It was not their decision. They were doing exactly what God, Jesus had commanded them to do. But it's how we endure the storms that determines our destiny. Would you get into the ship and lead the miracle crusade or will you stay on the banks with the multitude and do your own thing? When the storms come, will, will we cry out in fear or will we live by faith? The Bible says that they that endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Jesus said that many times. In the Gospels we read, Paul writes in Romans, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. Trouble that drives you to Jesus is a priceless treasure. You may think that's a strange thing to say. I don't like trouble. I run from trouble. I complain about trouble. But I tell you a secret. Trouble have made me what I am today. Every improvement I have made in my life, I have made because of trouble, because of the storms that I've been sent into. Two friends were hiking in the woods and they walked up on a huge grizzly bear. And one of them sat down immediately and started taking off his hiking boots and putting on his tennis shoes. His friend looked at him and said, you can't outrun that bear. And he looked at his friend and he said, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. Trouble will tell you who your friends are. Now this storm was a sustained storm. It was not a fifteen minute storm. For the past two days I've been studying about storms. I've been studying what was this all about? There were some bits that were quite puzzling. These were seasoned sailors who had lived on the Sea of Galilee all their lives. They're fighting for their lives somewhere between nine and twelve hours. I looked this up. Here is the biblical evidence of that. In Exodus twelve six, there is a literal translation between the evenings because the Jewish people had two evenings, one beginning at 3, 3 p.m. and the other beginning at 6 p.m., which is the one used here in this miracle story. The disciples did not see the Lord again until the fourth watch, which is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So the disciples were on the sea between 9 and 12 hours, fighting for their lives. Unlike another storm, and Christ was asleep in the boat. But this time, the disciples were alone. And I ask myself, why? Why did Jesus send them into this storm alone? Because God was, Jesus was trying to prepare them and you for a time when you would have to fight alone. Your friends will not be there. Your family will not be there. There may be no one there, but Jesus will be there. And I tell you something, if Jesus is there, everything is going to be all right. I speak from experience. Here's another message of this miracle. Just because you can't see Jesus, the disciples couldn't see Jesus, doesn't mean he can't see you. He is on the mount and his eyes on you. He is the son of the living God. He is the way, he is the truth and he is the life. He is the master of the wind and wave and he has all power in heaven and on earth. He can make a way when there seems to be no way. He takes us by the hand and says, follow me, the best is yet to come. Lift up your heads, square your shoulders. You're a child of the king, royal blood. Flows in your veins. Kick the dust off your feet. Jesus promises to be with us. And nothing is impossible. God has the best for us. For a long time, we had up on the banner Jeremiah 29, 11. And I know you all know it. By heart for I know the plans I have for you Jesus hasn't promised us smooth sailing God hasn't promised us smooth sailing but he has promised us safe landing your storm may be out of your control but it is not out of his control he holds the seven seas in the palm of his hand he is still Jehovah Jireh the God who provides. He's Jehovah Shammah, the God who is there. He's Jehovah Ro- Rofi, the Lord our healer. He's Jehovah Rohi, our shepherd. And because He's our shepherd, we will not want. Verse 20 it says, And the wind was contrary, the disciples were rowing. I could just picture the scene. Their backs were aching, their hands were locked in a death grip on the oars. They were fighting for their lives between 9 and 12 hours. And the winds were tossing the boat about. Their boat was a little sailboat. They did not have a 500 power diesel engine pushing the boat. The breezes that yesterday had gently pushed them across the Sea of Galilee to accomplish their purpose today was a threat to their survival. And I thought about this. The message, I believe, of this miracle is that the things that have helped you in the past may hinder you in the future. The person who helped you yesterday may not be the person that helps you tomorrow. The business combination that worked for you months ago may not work for you at all today. Just about the time you think you've got it all figured out, God moves the equation around. And you have to seek him again to find out where he's going. People depend on people. You say that only happens to people who are out of the will of God. But remember, Jesus had Judas. That was not out of the will of God. David had Absalom. Paul had Demas. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the people said, Hosanna, blessed is he whose comes in the name of the Lord. They wanted to make him king. And yet, 48 hours later, It was the same crowd that said, kill him. Don't get hooked on anybody. Jesus is the only one who will never fail you. Some people depend on people. Other people depend on possessions. People who have money depend on money. You know, money can buy you a hundred pound meal, but it's only God who can give you the appetite to enjoy it. Money can... Give you a house of splendor, but it's only God and his love can make a house, a home. Money can give you a bed of gold, but it's only God who can give you restful sleep. When all else fails, God never fails. He's faithful and true. And the help you had in the past, the thing that helped you in the past, the same breeze that had taken them from the eastern to the western shore. The day before was the same wind that was threatening their survival and their lives the next day. This was very close to my heart. I wasn't sure up until Wednesday what I was going to speak on. I was waiting on the Lord and nothing was coming. And on Thursday I had to go to the hospital. It it was a difficult day for me. And I had some news that I wasn't thrilled about. I have to go into hospital next, on Friday to a hospital that I don't know about. I don't know even where it is. I don't know the surgeons. I don't know the nurses. I'm not familiar with the setup there. I had Linda Blackburn with me and when she took me home I spent about an hour complaining and mourning and grumbling oh I don't know I can't do this I can't go to London Chest Hospital I'm familiar with Papworth I know the doctors there I know the surgeons there I know the nurses there I know the layout there I know the theater I know the procedure I feel safe there And then later on in the afternoon, I was studying this passage, and I thought, the same breeze that had helped them the day before was the same breeze, wind, that was threatening their life the next day. I was keeping my eyes on the mountain, on the help I had in the past, But the important thing is to keep our eyes on the master of the wind and the waves. Because he has the answer. And I found a sense of relief as I studied this. And I felt this was so much for me, this message. Because it helped me to realize that I no need to keep my eyes on what has happened in the past what has brought me through the difficulties in the past, I was keeping my eyes on the wrong thing, in the wrong place. I had to keep my eyes on the master because he has a plan. And he wants me there. And it's there when I'm in that exact place where he has put me, Will I see the power, his power, and the miracle that he wants me to experience. When all else fails, God is faithful and true. We're children of the King. The the Scripture says He has numbered the hairs on your head. So, in the morning, when you get your brush and you comb your hair, and a few comes out in the hairbrush, the calculators in heaven are going and recalculating. He knows everything there is to know about us. What an awesome God! We serve. Verse 48 says, and he was about to pass them by. If you have your Bibles open, you'll see. Verse 48, he was about to pass them by. This is a mystery verse. And I studied for a while and I thought, the disciples had been rowing for nearly 12 hours and Jesus would pass them by After all, he was the one that sent them into the storm. But I believe the message of the miracle is this. Jesus wanted them to ask for help, to call on him. Call and I will answer. Ask and you shall receive. No good thing will he withhold from them who diligently seek him. You have not, Jesus said, because you ask not. God is waiting to hear from us because he's greater than the storm that we're facing or we may be facing. And you may say, well, I'm not in a storm at the moment. I'm okay. Well, hang on. There may be one around the corner because the Bible says, Jesus in that parable said, not if the storms came, come, but when the storms come, house on the rock stood God is waiting to hear from us because He is greater than any storm we could ever face. He's greater than any burden that we could be carrying. The Bible says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus, will, God will never let us down. Jesus will never let us down. You know, I remember a few years ago I rang up my, my mother and I was quite upset about something, mostly to do with my health, which has been my biggest storm throughout my life. And as usual, I was complaining. You know, when I was, when I was growing up as a teenager, as my sisters all, they used to refer to me as a quivering collection of useless emotions, something they picked up from Fraggle Rock. So they know that. That's the way I think. And I was saying to my mom, where is God? Why, 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 why? And she said, if you could just get a picture of heaven, if you could just get a glimpse of how Jesus is interceding and crying out to the Father because of you and on your behalf, you would not be asking that question. You wouldn't worry about a thing. Because he's there, this Bible tells us. He's at the right hand of the Father, interceding, pleading for us. We should have nothing to worry about because we know Jesus is on our side. And with Jesus on your side, we have nothing to fear. Nothing at all. Jesus came to them in the fourth watch. That's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. It was the darkest hour before the dawning. I did some research on this, of course. That was the darkest hour. Your answer will come in the darkest hour. You know, I don't know why God does that. I don't know why God has a darkest hour theology. He has a last minute theology. Some time ago, I, uh, I shared with you my experience at, at Papworth Hospital. And that I waited for God to reveal himself, to show himself. And for four days, I waited and waited until the very last minute, he showed himself. Remember the story of Lazarus and Mary and Martha? They waited for Jesus and he didn't come. They wondered why. Jesus is a last minute, last minute. Just about the time you're about to throw the oars over and say, Who gives a monkey? Now, I know that's not in the Bible, but it should be. I said that to God on Thursday. Who gives a monkey? I'm tired. I've had enough. Why aren't you healing me? When are you going to heal me? I'm all prayed out. I don't give a monkey anymore. But just as you're about, just as you're ready to throw in the towel, you see Jesus walking on the water and you know everything is going to be all right. In verse 47, story tells us the ship was in the middle of the sea. Now, I've never been on the Sea of Galilee. But I read up on it and I, and I learned it's six miles from one bank to another. If you're in the middle of the sea, how far out are you? Three miles. And how far have you got to go? Three miles. Jesus said to his disciples, Go to the other side and I will meet you there. He didn't say, Go to the middle and sink. We have not been promised smooth sailing, but we've been promised we're going to get to the other side. You may be in a storm at the moment. Or as I said before, you may not be in a storm, but wait a while. You may find the wind howling, and your boat's being tossed about. But hold on. God's on his way. He'll soon be here, and he'll roll back that stone, and he'll call out your name. The great I am is walking on the water. And he's coming to you in the most unusual way, at the most unusual time, at the darkest hour. Just when you're about to give up, throw in the towel, I've had enough. He will be the answer we're looking for. See, I believe the miracle of walking on this water was a time of rapture. when John records the story in John 6. See, all of the stories, all of these miracles were told by Samo, all of the Gospels. That's why they're called the Synoptic Gospel. And that's why we need to read all of the, uh, the versions to get all of the facts. John six twenty one says, and immediately the ship landed on the other side. When Jesus came to them, walking on the water, immediately the ship landed on the other side. Do you know what the word immediately says in the Greek? Immediately. Instantly, in the twinkling of an eye, they were in the middle of the sea, they had three miles to go, I believe this is one of the greatest miracles in the Bible because there's a ship with 13 passengers, 12 disciples and one master, sailing through the air to land on the other side. Jesus and his 12 disciples representing the kingdom of God. He demanded the 12 to separate themselves from the crowd and get into the boat. And this is what he has commanded us to do. To separate ourselves from the world. Come out from among them and be separate, said the Lord. The word church means the separated ones. Once the disciples were out to sea, he left them and went to the mountain to pray. Christ has now ascended to the mountain of God at the right hand of the Father, who sees you toiling on the sea. The disciples represent the church of Jesus Christ. On the Sea of Galilee, representing the sea of life. We're in a vicious storm. Right now, the church is in the greatest storm it has ever known. We are living in a world that's filled with pornography, with murder, with rape. You name it, there's tragedy. You look at the news, every day you switch the news on, you cannot believe some of the things we see and we hear about. And we cannot believe that mankind have become so evil and can commit such evil acts against one another. But the darkest hour is just before the dawn. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. God is saying to us, his church today, hold on. If you listen closely, you can hear the footsteps of Jesus shuffling through the clouds of heaven. And he's looking at us, he's looking at his church and he's saying to us today, hold on, hold on and do to the end. I am coming much sooner than you think. Pray up. Pack up. Look up. We're going home. Jesus is coming again. Much sooner than we think.